This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property if we get the chance to squeeze it into the format that we have here on NPR. So lovely to be with you today. There's been so much news in the last week relating to housing, relating to investing, relating to landlords and tenants, relating to rents and also to rising prices. So it seems a lot like a scratched record sometimes, but this week there has been some genuine changes. The government really has done a few things to uh, shake up people, and we'll talk about that during the show. But other than that, let's look at some of the context around some of these announcements that the government has made. So I'm going to... I saw a report on New Zealand Advisor online.co.nz which shows the increase in regional rents and this is interesting because this information can be a little hard to find sometimes so if you're a landlord or a tenant and you're interested where the rents are going or where they have been going the report showed that every region in New Zealand saw a year-on-year increase in median weekly rent in February the most significant increase is in Manawatu Wanganui which is 16% year-on-year 16%, 16%, Hawke's Bay 15 Taranaki 13 So this is really interesting. This is according to Trade Me uh, Property and the Trade Me Rental Price Index. So a 16% increase, what does that look like? For every $100 of rent, the market has moved up in a year so that it's now $116. So a $400 a week property this time last year should now be uh, sort of quite a way up there, should have about 60 to $70 added on per week just to keep up with the market. Now that's really scary and there's been, uh, create, creates a number of thoughts. First of all, the for me it brings on the thoughts that rents in the Manawatu Wanganui area did stay static for a very long time and have only ever had very gradual and slight increases. So Tenants who are not used to an increase of this size tend to automatically think that a landlord is trying to rip them off. Uh, let's say there was an increase of $80 a week. For example, the first reporters, or the first uh, thought often by tenants is, well, they're trying to rip us off. And so what can you do if the rent goes up as a tenant? Well, you can talk to the landlord and just see if, uh, let them know that you disagree and see if you can negotiate something smaller. But if you're not able to, then the Tenancy Tribunal has a good mechanism to help determine what the market rent is. The market rent is something which is a concept around what similar homes are currently renting for. So if you feel that your rent has gone up a bit too much and you're a tenant, then you have got the ability to pay $20.44 and to have an adjudicator at Tenancy Tribunal make a decision around where that rent should be. 
So how that actually works is you go along to a hearing where you take evidence that you've managed to find from your various sources that the proposed rent increase is too high. The landlord does the same, except they're trying to find ways to show that the rent is justified. And then the adjudicator will base a number of market factors and then make a ruling which could well be in the favour of the tenants, potentially, uh, so it's worth a go in doing that if you're a tenant. Let's face it, a $20 increase in a year is around $1,000, so an $80 increase is around $4,000. So it can be worth the $20 application fee and the time spent to try and see if a determination can bring that amount down. But what we have been finding in the manner or two, actually, is that the market rent is uh, in line with that. Uh, It's gone up 16%. And the thing there is that it's hard to protest the those the size of those increase increases and so landlords are justified in putting rents up to be in line with the market of course um, most landlords only own one property in this country and they're having to uh, battle the various costs as well just like the rest of us and as the government over time has been bringing in a number of changes um, then if they're costing more money for people and uh, property is owning property is a business, then they need to put rents up in order to effectively be making ends meet or making the investment perform in the way that they'd want it to do so. So my advice to tenants is that um, if you haven't had a rent increase for a while, just, just don't mention it. <laughs> Keep paying the rent you're paying and hopefully that will stay like that for some time. If there is a rent increase, you can protest it through Tenancy Tribunal. Um, however, it's not out of the question that the increase could be in the size of around about 80 to $100 on the median rent at the moment. So that's uh, something to consider. And landlords, if you haven't put your rents up, uh, you can also do uh, – you can put them up part of the way, for example. You might keep them below market rent, but you should definitely – definitely move them up. And a good way to know where to move them up to is to get an independent rental appraisal. So enough about that, we'll move on. Here's some local news here from Palmerston North. And this is the about the Palmerston North's Papioia Place social housing complex. And it's looking really good down there. Um, the buildings are, are appropriate for the people that they need, uh, for, the peop- for what the people need. They're warm, comfortable, etc., However, they're now looking at putting in a tenant's lounge in a space where they could have put three more units and uh, and that's where there was discussion at City Council and it was sometimes a bit feisty about the relative merits of building homes to help overcome the housing crisis or providing a space to help build a sense of community. Tenants from the first stages of the development have already asked the council to provide a lounge concerned that the one-bedroom units were too small for hosting social gatherings and that people were isolated in their rooms. Committee Chairwoman Susan Beatty said that with more than 400 people on the waiting list for units, homes had to come first. So that's uh, been argued and um, and it's quite amazing that uh, you know, some of the comments there were really quite interesting from the councillors but it looks like that they uh, have to, they're going to go ahead with that and um, that'll be interesting to weigh off that sense of community uh, versus the amount of housing. In other news, again on New Zealand Advisor Online, 
the Real Estate Institute reveals highest performing region for residential investors. And yes, the Manawatu-Wanganui region outshone other regions in New Zealand in the fourth quarter of 2020, taking the top spot as the highest performing region for residential investors, with the second highest capital gains in New Zealand and the fourth highest rental yield. And this is according to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's latest capital gains and rental yields report. And it's the first time... Uh, in a, in, since the first quarter of 2020 that Manawatu Wanganui has made the top three list for the best region for investors. So the report revealed that capital gains in the Manawatu Wanganui region increased by 25.3% for the three months ending to December compared to the same time last year. With median prices rising from $400 to $501,000. Yields in the region also hit 4.0%, making it the standout region for residential property investors in New Zealand. So, this can relate somewhat to, I guess, what's going to happen with the market. And I've said for a wee while that the market in Manawatu, in particular, and Wanganui, uh, and certainly Pavis North, is very strong. And a month or two with the sheer number of people moving to this area, it will continue to be so. number of changes that the that have been made in the last uh, week or so by the government have uh, meant that they're making, trying to make it less appealing to invest. Yet we're still the most appealing region in New Zealand. So it'll be interesting to see how that works, uh, what effect that has. But all of that notwithstanding, even if you completely removed the investors from the market entirely in our region, I still believe we'd be getting multiple offers, um, and there's no doubt in my mind actually that we'd be getting multiple offers on properties from people other than investors. So the market is still going to be busy, and things are still going to be moving upwards. And moving upwards, we'll just talk a little bit about um, potentially upcycling, and this article is really interesting. And it says that coffee cups and cartons used to create new building material. So used beverage cartons, soft plastics and coffee cups will soon be saved from the landfill to be reused as building material. Save board is a new venture which will create a type of construction board which can be used in place of plywood, particle board or plaster board. And on the radio actually, on, on TalkBack, I happen to be in the age demographic that tends to listen to TalkBack uh, when we're driving around, etc. They were saying that there's also a brick product uh, made of plastics that's from a place down south near Dunedin where they can make uh, extremely strong plastic bricks. Think Lego but larger and think very hard to damage. But but the save board is also using the plastics uh, for the interiors, which is really interesting as well. So it's backed by the transport company Freightways, the packaging manufacturer Tetra Pak, and sustainable solutions company Closed Loop. The venture's first plant is due to begin production in Tirapa near Hamilton this year. So it's really interesting to see that they're looking for ultimate ways because a lot of the plastic now just finds its way into landfills, and it's great to be able to... Um, then be able to change things. And some of you may remember that old plastic bags, um, once when those were removed, were going to be transformed into fence post by the new recycling company Future Post. So there's a number of things here that are happening. It's wonderful to see what's going on. When the factory ramps up, SaveBoard hopes to produce about 200,000 boards a year, uh, although it will still be a tiny part relatively of the country's building supplies. So begs the question, would you build a house made of plastic, these plastic bricks, 
I wish I could remember the name of the company so that you could look it up online. But uh, it's really certainly a, a food for thought in this time where we can simply reuse things. Um, I've heard also that there's potentially a timber shortage uh, with Carter Holt. Um, now, even though they're a small company, um, no longer providing timber. And so it just brings on that discussion around some of these other things to do with plastics and whether there are alternatives to timber that we can use for housing. So here's something that might be handy uh, in terms of studies. This is um, something that I found was quite interesting. It says, which smells entice home buyers the most during open homes? So you might remember the old cliches of putting on some coffee or baking some bread, and it seems to influence homeowners. And, it, and really it is a, a bit of a cliche these days. But guess what? Apparently it works. Bankrate UK asked 2,000 people what smells they find the homeliest and freshly baked bread tops three of the five age groups. However, it's not tops for every age group, so it may pay to work out the likely age group of your target purchases before you choose to pop that loaf in the oven or choose a particular scented candle. After all, it's about putting prospective purchases at ease, making them feel at home, and putting a smile on their faces. So it turns out that 16 to 24-year-olds much prefer the smell of vanilla, while those in the 35 to 44-year-old age bracket prefer the smell of fresh linen. So you don't have to. So it's really interesting because uh, altogether, I must say, thirty-eight point six percent of people preferred the smell of freshly baked bread, which is a clear majority. But thirty-two point eight is the smell of fresh linen. And if you doubt that's the case, you might like to note that on Google searches for linen candle received a five-year peak in January. And if you're interested, uh, Kmart sells fresh linen candle for seven dollars. The smell of coffee turns up third place overall with 28.7%. No surprises there. And the fourth place goes to vanilla, closely followed by the smell of lavender. After that, fresh cut grass. <laughs> it's really interesting to see what, what people have commented on that. Further down is cinnamon, chocolate, and the final two scents are blossom and sandalwood. So there we go. If you want to uh, sell to people in the 25 to 34, baked bread, linen or vanilla. 35 to 44, linen, baked bread or coffee. And 45 to 54, baked bread, coffee and fresh linen. 55 plus, freshly baked bread, fresh linen and coffee. <laughs> so there we go. Oh, well, I wonder if they should uh, come up with a, a coffee flavour. You know how you can get sort of the different ones, hazelnut and so forth, but to a linen-flavoured coffee, I don't, I don't know whether that's a thing or whether the smell of that would drive people into a house-buying frenzy. We might have to see. But in the meantime, while you're pondering that thought, here's some music by Moby with Porcelain.
You're back here on Property Matters. This is Greg Watson, and we're here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. So lovely to have your company, and that was Moby with Porcelain. So before the break, we are just talking about a few different articles that uh, I've been reading in real estate news, and here's another one. An Auckland real estate photographer's drone was shot down, and the police are investigating. So photographer Jack... Mapaban was operating a drone on Beachhaven Road about 5pm on Tuesday when he heard two noises, which he put down to a neighbour using a nail gun. The third time the noise sounded, his drone immediately began beeping and entering return to home mode, effectively going on autopilot as it flew back to him. He found a bullet hole created by what appeared to be a pallet gun at the centre of the rear of the drone between two proximity sensors. It was only flying at about three metres from the ground and facing the house and it was hit. The person must have uh, had a scope or been a really good shot, he said. So he was following all the rules and regulations, and he had consent to fly, and uh, now he's looking at needing to get a new camera. So that's something that's pretty unusual. The police are investigating that one. So uh, I've never seen a story where a real estate photographer has had shots taken at his or her equipment. So we're now going to move on a little bit. There's been loads of uh, headlines this week just in terms of these changes that the government has announced. Uh, the Bright Line test, for example, which is if you buy a second home and then sell it within now 10 years, then you have to pay tax on the profit. Now, it doesn't really apply to your personal home, although they, <laughs> the government's been a bit sneaky about that one um, at, at May. But, uh, however, the Land Revenue website has great information on the Brightline period. 
and um, and and that gives you ideas as to what you might need to do there. But in the current market, or well, the Brightline test was only originally supposed to be if you buy and sell a property within two years. It was brought in by the national government to stop property flippers because people were buying properties, doing them up and selling them for a profit again and again, which the national government decided is actually like running a business. So they did away did away with that. But extending it out is really punishing no one. It's not punishing. It's just really um, – I mean it's not punishing the people that they should be punishing is what I, what I mean to say. So now it's uh, bringing in um, investors who are owning properties for longer terms who have no intention of – uh, selling them within that time period anyway. But if they get into financial trouble, they may have to. And then at that point, they're going to have to pay tax on the profit. So interesting in that most rental property portfolios, remember people only on on average have one or two properties, um, they have to run that like a business. But it's now a business where you have to pay your tax on your revenue, not on your profit. So that's an interesting concept there. And we have to see if that carries over anywhere else within uh, the government way of looking at things. So I'll read you some of just the, the headlines here, just give you a snippet of what else has been happening. Mortgage lending shows New Zealand property market continues to run hot. This one from um, late March. The market is still very busy indeed, judging by the amounts that are being borrowed. Another article talked about that uh, forget first home buyers, the metric of success in the housing crisis is rental prices. And this was an opinion piece where um, the, the Renters United has been trying to uh, lobby the government to to effectively fix rents. And the government keeps... Uh, trying to uh, make changes, but that ultimately a lot of the changes often get passed on to the tenants in terms of increased rents. So I'll find an article which I've got here somewhere. You might be able to hear me leafing through a few bits of paper, but uh, Grant Robinson, Robertson came out in the last few days and said that um, they're going to keep an eye on whether – oh, here it is – uh, whether they should put the rents up or or no, let me put that another way. I'm so sorry. I got myself tongue-tied while I was looking for the notes. Whether they should uh, – whether landlords put rents up, um, the government's going to keep an eye on those things because another change that's been made is removing tax deductions. And this will put the cost of having an investment property up by four to $5,000 a year the immediate response from landlords, as it has been to many other changes, was, well, we're going to have to put the rent up uh, in order for that property to be viable. So uh, Grant Robertson's come out and said, we're going to keep an eye on that. We may even do something about it should people start putting rents up. But the reality of, of the matter is that rents will keep going up anyway. As I mentioned earlier in the show, if, if a landlord does a jump that's out of context with the rest of the market, then there are ways to protest that. So the idea that a landlord might put the rent up by $100 per week uh, is a bit ridiculous. However, there is uh, every chance that rents will just continue to keep going up over time. In fact, another thing that the government reforms have done is uh, they've put investors and home, first home buyers on a collision course. So what's happening there is the this is an opinion piece by Daniel Dunkley on stuff.co.nz, but I mean, many people, especially the younger generations, cheer the announced reforms. After all, they've been 
spent years being squeezed by landlords and nitpicked over deposit deductions and beaten at auctions. And while young people might rub their hands with glee that things have been made more difficult for investors, they shouldn't suffer yet. And this article relates to new builds. Many young people have been going to build new as their first homes, and the reason for that is because it's easier to get into. Um, now, the while the reforms don't specifically encourage investors to get out there and build or, or that sort of thing, they do incentivise landlords to snap up as many new build homes as possible. So the Bright Line test doesn't apply um, in terms of... Um, the strictness for new builds. And so for many young people, uh, the turnkey or fixed price house and land packages offer the best chance of getting a first property because they're not bound by LVR restrictions and can be purchased with a small deposit of 10%. It's perfect. However, with investors clamouring for new builds, New Zealand's freshly built houses and fixed price packages will become a hot property. First home buyers and investors will be on a collision course in this corner of the market. So just when it seems like uh, the first home buyers are, are getting a bit of a chance, particularly with new builds, etc. I've seen that a lot. Uh, the government's gone to make a change to make it harder. It seems that everything they do inadvertently cause, causes other problems. And there was an article on stuff, and you might like to look this one up. It's called Housing Policy, What Changes Mean for Homeowners, Investors, first home buyers, renters and batch owners and they broke it up so into those different things. So for investors, as you know, they need to pay more tax. Um, the Brightline test effectively acting as a de facto capital gains tax. Uh, owner-occupiers, uh, there is exemptions from the Brightline test for your own home, although if you move away, rent it out for a bit and move back in, there could be some difficulties there. Uh, batch owners were already covered by the Bright Line test, but now it's um, you're going to have to pay tax on the income that includes things like Airbnb and, and so forth. Um, so there will be extra tax bills for people with those situations. What do the changes mean for renters? Well, according to this article, uh, if some investors decide it's not worth holding a property without the perk of deductibility, that could mean some tenancies change hands. Some landlords might try to increase rents to cover their tax bill. According to Real Estate Institute Acting Chief Executive Wendy Alexander, she says many landlords are likely to increase their rent in coming years as they look to offset the costs, thereby making rentals even more unaffordable than they currently are and making it even harder for renters to save a deposit for their own home. So that's the natural run of things then. As I've said before on this show, the fundamental thing that needs to happen is massive building of state housing in my opinion to really take some heat out of the market so for first home buyers uh, they've made changes to the first home grant and loan schemes so to qualify for those schemes buyers will now be able to earn up to 95000 as a single person and 150000 as a couple and they've moved the price caps upward in most areas so that, it's, so that uh, when they're buying properties uh, they can get that grant for these properties as prices increase. So thanks very much for listening today. It's been wonderful having your company here on Property Matters. We look forward to catching up to you in a week's time and feel free to keep a lookout for these podcasts wherever all good podcasts are found or just listen in here live on npr.nz. Lovely having your company. Have a great week. If you're a fan of NPR, 
Listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.